But as we begin in this particular section, this is the finale of the sermon series. And I want to begin by summarizing, as it were, the principles, really, of the last three messages. So if you weren't here, this is the principles, especially in Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 4, as we've arrived in the sphere of the home. We, we got a grand movement about what God is doing in the church and in the world, but that all begins somewhere. It begins with individual Christians who are moved by the Spirit of God and changed, and then that infiltrates and saturates and enculturates the home. Not just fathers, but fathers and mothers and children, and everybody in a personal way is affected in this sphere called the home. And what I want to do is give you five principles of what we have seen, especially in Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians uh, Ephesians 6 here. Um, And I'm going to give you one, one bonus point so you don't misunderstand me. So first is we learn that the, the task is enculturation. Or if you want a more specifically biblical word, discipleship. Full-orbed discipleship, teaching them all to obey all that I have commanded you, even to the end of the age. So the first thing that we see about biblical discipleship in the home or enculturation is, is that it, it is throughout the whole home from children on up or fathers on down, we see that it's not a suggestion, not a suggestion. It is a command of the living God. Paul, in addressing husbands and their model of Christ in Ephesians 5, and Christ's ministry of the word is not a nice suggestion if you want to lead your wife. Not at all. It is not optional. It's only as optional as loving your wife is. You must bathe her, wash her in the word. You must lead her spiritually in the things of Christ. And, and I would say, well, I'll get there. Never mind. I'll hold off. <laughs> Fathers also, in enculturating our children along with our wives, is to Christ. This is not optional. It's a requirement of the Christian life. Think about it. How contradictory would it be, as in Matthew 28, in saying, go disciple the nations in total. Baptize them. Teach them all that I've commanded you. But concerning your own household, don't worry about baptizing them, discipling them all into Christ. Uh, especially because these little ones, because right now in our culture, by the way, we're having all the kids. Secularists are not having any kids. <laughs> and so all of our children are going to fill the earth. Um, it, is, it is our children who are going to populate the nations. So we, we begin by discipling them from the earliest ages when they speak. These are the ones whom the command is for. We are prone to thinking about spirituality as ours alone. We see our whole spiritual lives as through American individualistic lenses. We think that it's me and my Bible under the tree, when we don't realize often that biblical spirituality in its best expression has a posture to saying, come along with me, and including your neighbors. You can hear a verse like Zechariah in chapter 8, 
And this is prophetically about Christ. It says about the nations. It says this, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once and entreat the favor of Yahweh and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. This other's posture is the way that our spiritual lives should be framed, not merely myself. Our, our worship of God is not individual only, though it begins there. It is including all those around us. And the question for us to land on us is, is will, we, will we be faithful no matter what the makeup of our home, even if it's just us, will our hearts be engaged in the worship of Christ on a, on a daily basis? <clears throat> this work of enculturation, both Moses and Paul, this is point two, daily, we saw both of them say that it was all-encompassing. That is, when I rise, when I walk, when I sit, when I lay down, when I brush my teeth, when I tie my shoe, when I comb my hair, when I do whatever I do, this is a persistent and daily task. Which means, and what follows from that is number three, it's something that requires lots of diligence because it is a part of our everyday life. We should be aware of our own sinful dispositions that tend to neglect ongoing effort and movement towards God. That takes Effort because we are bent wrongly and need to be reformed according to the image of Christ. And so our sinful tendency is to coast and go, I'm good. Um, you can do that if you've done the hard work to establish a right and holy habit and pattern, which brings you to a place where you press into Christ daily. If you are a Christian for any length of time, you recognize in yourself there's waning passions that come and they go. And thus we need a spur which comes from the word and the spirit towards diligent effort in the things of Christ. So it's commanded, it's daily, it's diligent, it's intentional also, slightly different than diligent. We need to recognize that we need to be intentional about our plan of attack for our life and our spirituality in our homes. This must include a long-term approach because it's intended not only for the daily, but in an ongoing manner. This is supposed to be who we become, who we are. You will become what you practice. If you practice laziness and not reading your Bible as an individual, well, you become a spiritually dry person and sinful in ways that you wish were not true. However, if you as families come together in a planned way, you will uh, remove being inconsistent and sporadic. You will rather uh, not only do what you feel in the moment, but rather you will do what you ought when you don't feel what you need to feel in the moment. And you will be intentional about it. La lastly, in, in terms of what we have seen, is this sort of enculturation that we've seen is robustly representative. That's my fifth point. That is, we are to engage in a full-orbed discipleship and enculturation, which by nature doesn't focus on one part of the Christian life. Ask yourselves, what is the Christian life without the word? What is the Christian life without prayer? What, what is the Christian life without singing? Some of us, that's probably the challenge for us. Like, 
where's our singing in our homes? That might be the rub for you. Or, or maybe it's, it's the word if you don't read well. But whatever it is, we, our discipleship in our homes needs to represent the total of the Christian life. And since I'm talking about family worship specifically and bringing all the scriptures that I've talked about to a head, uh, I, I'm going to leave off something that I'm just going to mention is, is what is a Christian life without charity or, or Christian service? Or evangelism, these other sorts of things. These also should be included, <clears throat> though I'm headed towards a specific thing. Lastly, this is your bonus point. If you have five bullets, this is your plus one. You must not let, let it slip from your mind as we're talking about our duty to God and how we're going to approach it. We need to understand that this is about our obedience and it is all to be done quorum deo. You ever heard that word? It's, it's a Latin phrase which just means before the face of God. A wonderful Reformation principle. All of the effort that we put in to this thing that I'm talking about, family worship, is not earning something before God as a legalist thinks he can do and cannot. Rather, our effort is by grace through faith and is a serious striving to live for God's glory as one whom we dearly love and value and enjoy as the source and warp and woof of our life. So, how then do we begin to accomplish this task? <clears throat> and what should we be doing as a biblical course of action in our homes? Your elders have talked about this for a while now. And we're implementing this in Sunday school. I won't say much about it today, but <clears throat> your elders are agreed that the best course of action for every single household in this church, which meets the criteria here that we just talked about and seen in the series, is to compel you, to command you to obey this particular command, is to walk in a particular path with proven fruitfulness. None of us, as your elders <laughs> think that any of us needs to blaze a new trail, as it were, or ask you to do something that hasn't been done before. The only reason that you may feel that this is new or strange is because churches, uh, after the Puritans really, have not exhorted the people into this path, and so it's overrun with brush and not known in very many homes, even in conservative Bible-believing churches. My ears ring. That's... Sorry. <laughs> the elders are convinced that the faithful course for every single one of you is to journey together with us corporately and individually in our homes towards the celestial city by daily family worship. Daily family worship. If you're single, well, we just call that personal devotions. If you have a husband and wife, that's called family worship. If you have a husband, wife, and kids, that's family worship. We're... we're exhorting you and i'm going to say as a as a promise to you i'm extremely confident that if you institute daily family worship every single day maybe minus sundays we do minus sundays i won't qualify what i say very much today but <clears throat> you will greatly multiply your faithfulness in your own spirituality and in your home and if you haven't done it before or haven't sustained it in a in a a fashion in your life, 
and you begin to for a month plus and you continue on, you'll say, where has this been all my life? Why didn't anybody tell me about this before? I'm very confident that your spirituality really will grow significantly from this. The first thing that I need to do for you is outline my sermon a little bit so that you know where we're at because it's all application for the most part. I'll get into the text some, but that was the last five weeks really. I intend to cover three major elements of family worship, what it should include um, at a base level. Uh, And I'm going to use scripture to defend that and show its biblical character. And then I'm going to advocate for some specifics for you and how you might do it. And I'm going to try to handle some objections if I can, depending on our time. I'm not going to be able to say everything at once. That's why this next week in Sunday school, we'll have a free form time where you can ask questions and say, hey, Fred, how do I do that? And also pull in other resources we're going to have a modeling of this in a life group next month for all of church and then probably again with myself and then maybe another class. This is something that I encourage you to do, um, uh, to, to think hard on these things. But the first thing, <clears throat> point one, family worship should inc- include the word of God. Though I don't think this needs very much proof, I do want to read to you Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 14 this section of scripture is a <clears throat> portion to a young young pastor timothy he's told to uh, he's told that don't let his congregants look down on his young age as he preaches to them and brings them a, the word of god and then he wants to tell timothy in this section how he is to be equipped for the pastoral office, specifically to be a man of God, uh, which is a technical term. But here it says in verse 14, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we see here in this section that Timothy, actually we learn in the very first chapter of this book, 2 Timothy, that he learns from his grandmother, Lois, or excuse me, Yeah, Lois and his mother Eunice, they knew that their Christian responsibility, I don't know where dad is in this, but they knew that their Christian responsibility was to train young Timothy up in their household and to give him the word of God. So he's been saturated with it from the very beginning. The the model of what we're looking at in our church today, if you have kids in your home. Um, And here he says very clearly that it's, it's only the teaching of the Bible, which can bring somebody to the wisdom of salvation that is by faith in Jesus Christ. And then, not only that, but further, Paul clearly and definitively says about Timothy that it's scripture alone that can equip him for the pastoral office. And we should just say for us, well, how much more the daily Christian? 
for our duties that God has called us to. It is scripture which has in it a, a sufficiency to make every Christian wholly complete and mature. Believers, on the other hand, will not grow from worldly ideas that are packaged in Christian language. They, they don't work. Even if teaching from this very pulpit is not organically rooted and growing from Scripture, it cannot claim to be God's word, a divine word, nor does it have the ability to help you, only to hinder you. And I think the call here today, family worship, is part of what God would approve as divine. Jesus also teaches in Matthew 4, 4, or if you want to look at this cross-reference, which he quotes, he partially quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3. You'll remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and he doesn't have any food, Satan comes up and says, turn those stones into bread. And he answers by a partial quotation of Deuteronomy 8, 3. And he says, man does not live by bread alone, but man is to live by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. And this is a fascinating quote because the the amazing part of this is Moses makes clear that Israel was deprived of the natural food. And rather, from God's very word, they had this supernatural food called manna. And the point of that was to teach them that God could sustain them with his supernatural word and even produce something for them to eat. It is more essential to our life that we eat the word of God, the, 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 the food of God's word than our very own intaking of calories physically. Therefore, we should also see the word of God as essential for life, to be daily consumed in our homes, in our families. So in family worship, what is the best course of action then? Well, the best course of action is to read through the whole Bible, book by book. Whole Bible, book by book. Why? Well, you want your family to operate off the whole counsel of God. You don't want disconnected bits and pieces here and there so that you don't even know. You know Jesus is saying, but you don't know what it means in context because you never read Deuteronomy. You want to know all of God's word and have every single part of it as part of your life. God has revealed every single word from Genesis to Revelation for Christian maturity. That Old Testament stuff is not just for Old Testament saints. It's for us. It's been written for our instruction. And to lop off portions of the scripture as unnecessary says to God, well, you wasted your time. I don't need that. And we ought not to have such a haughty spirit. It is our duty as families to go through the entire Bible year after year. And I'm, you don't have to get through it all in a year. I certainly don't. Three, four years, five years, that's good too. But you should get through it all and then start again. And that does not mean that you have to go through chronologically. That does not mean you don't go to the particular things that your family are used to. doesn't mean it... Don't start in an easy book. I started an easy book in preaching. That's what I did. I started something that I could readily do quickly and start in a simple way. That, that's all fine. Um, and you may think to yourself, 
Well, I'm not a Bible master, Fred. I mean, sounds pretty easy for you. You've got training. You can pick up the Bible and just read and explain what it means. Well, the truth of the matter is you, you don't have to be a Bible master to begin. In fact, you just need to be a head of a household and receive the commandment of the living God to enculturate your family to Christ. You're enlisted. It, it, it's not whether uh, you, you have been trained or not. Uh, that's a part of what uh, our job is to help you with. <clears throat> Don't let any difficulty, objection, get in your way to obedience to God's word. Don't let it steal away the idea that you have been made a priest. You've been made a, a royal priesthood, as we saw last week. And, and you have been charged with handling God's word. And so Luther, though it was a radical idea, especially before the printing press, but he believed that every, every plowman, that is blue-collar worker in our terms, uh, needs a Bible in his own language so that he can read and study God's word. This is the exact thing that we need to be doing in our own homes, especially with the great access that we have. Now, if you want to break it down in the parts, you could make this a second part of the word. Uh, you ought to not only read the word, but discuss the meaning of the word. It, it will not profit you any, anything at all to just have the scripture read. It's not as though it'll just seep into us. It might. I mean, the Spirit's pretty gracious to us. It, it might seep into us like, like a tea bag, but the, the idea really is, is we're not going to magically hear the word of God. Uh, honestly, we need to... Often, as listeners, seeking comprehension, understanding, we need to wrestle that out. We need to talk about things like, well, what does that grammar mean? We need to talk about, well, look at this theme that's in Scripture here. We need to talk about it in our families so that it might not be like those in James who hear the word and then it just flits away from our heart because we're not concerned about knowing it really we're not concerned about putting it into practice. Our family worship time, husband and wife, husband, wife, and kids, or just by ourselves, needs to be uh, one where we think about and contemplate the meaning. And <clears throat> I would even suggest a guided discussion that facilitates all the members of your household contemplating this thing together. That promotes understanding, especially as some misunderstand. Well, what does that mean? My kids often ask me, what's that word? Like, oh, okay. How do I say that in very simple terms? Well, that means something basic. And, and this is their way of listening for comprehension. The Bible studied in community, as we know in Sunday school, or really in Bible, women's Bible study or any Bible study you go to, that when there's push and pull within our families, things begin to stick because we'll have to talk about these things over and over and over and over again. So this is my fourth point, 1.4. There's a resource. You all received a copy of a leather-bounded book. Uh, I will share more about this later, but your elders understand that some of you may have never partaken of family worship in your marriages or sustained it within your families whatsoever. Or maybe you never even thought about it. So 
because this is a potential, what we wanted to do is to get you something that would do a lot of legwork for you. And as a head of the household responsible for leading family worship, it would be a guide that, that holds your hand and points the way, even gives good application questions for you in, in most chapters. This is a little bit different than a commentary. A commentary gets into the weeds on the specifics of a passage. This is not like that. It's not also like a devotional, which is going to cherry pick things. It's going to try to give you the main meaning of each and every single chapter of, of, of the Bible. And it's going to have two or three entries on each one and show you how these things relate to Christ and, and how they point to us. And it will do a lot of the work beforehand. So, some of you men, in, in a right way, God has put you in a season of life where it, it might be pretty hard to prepare before this. And this is a step in the right direction whereby you can have a solid guide of, of commentary, even something you can read uh, to your family after the passage of Scripture. And it is a discussion facilitator for you. It, it points out the main meaning of the text. <clears throat> um, and so this is going to be a companion to your family worship. Uh, I'll say more on that in my class this upcoming week. But further, <clears throat> these scholars, I think, as I've read through large swaths of this, have done really good at taking the, the concepts of Scripture and the main meanings and done a really fantastic job of, of showing how they are fulfilled in Christ or even fulfilled in Christ and, and come to us. <clears throat> Fifth point, the job of shepherds. Fifth point, 1.5. Just know that I believe it's, it's our responsibility as shepherds to help you get over obstacles. You say, okay, yeah, Fred, this is good. I want to do this. I... I, you know, whatever obstacle you have, hey, Fred, can you come watch me lead my family and give me some pointers? Can you help me uh, in, in this path of, of daily and regular discipleship in my home together? Um, I, need, I need some practical hands-on help. I'd love to do that for successive weeks even. So call me. Secondly, family worship should include prayer. Now, Again, I don't think I need to prove this, but I want to anyways. Uh, we look none other to Matthew 6, 9, the Lord's Prayer. Most of you have this memorized anyways, but I want to point out a couple things that are, I think, especially helpful for us. <clears throat> the Lord's Prayer is a sort of model prayer for us. I think it could be called the model prayer, um, and it's a sort of template that tells us how and what we should be praying for. But there's also two things in particular that Jesus says that indicates to us um, something significant for our talk on family worship. Um, if it's to be a part of our family life, you would think it would be included in the, the model prayer, and I think it is. So here, we notice that when we read this section of Scripture, we're taught to pray, Our Father in Heaven. Now, Jesus could have said, My Father, because that is true. But he intends for us to be praying corporately together, more than one person. You could maybe instantly read it as a congregational church prayer. But <clears throat> what we see in verse 11, when it starts to get into the, the practical details of life, like our sin and so forth, 
it asks this statement, give us this day our daily bread. Give us the food that we need to be sustained today. And what does that commend to us other than that this corporate prayer is actually best fulfilled and most clearly understood in the context of a family prayer? This is our daily prayer in our homes because it is fathers and mothers who also have the same task to provide these things. This is part of our daily sustenance. It's not the church's responsibility by and large, first and foremost, to uh, work real hard and to provide you food. Right? It is the family's job. So this is uh, commending to daily family prayer. That's what it's looking toward. And the question that we should ask is, how, how should I pray? Well, you start here and you uh, begin by talking uh, to God in these words. And I just want to plug, we're going to start up prayer group again, I think every other week uh, up until Sunday school stops and we might transition. But nonetheless, what we're going to do is have a, a 10, 15 minute teaching time on the Lord's Prayer or the prayers in the Psalms, or the New Testament prayers, such as Paul's and others. Um, And then we're going to learn how to pray together. So if you're needing instruction there, you will have some forthcoming. Um, In an interest of time, let me just say, start with the Lord's Prayer, and you can't go wrong in learning how to pray with your family. The third thing that family worship should include is singing. This, we, are, we don't live in a singing culture anymore. And so for some of us, we have all sorts of initial hesitations to hearing you should sing daily, especially with your family, not just in the shower. You should sing with your husband, with your wife, with your kids. And the one... Uh, verse that I I will go and commend to you most highly is Psalm 118, verse 15. Psalm 118, this is the famous verse, or this famous uh, chapter of the Psalms that is about Jesus entering into the the temple before he cleanses it. And we, we read it on Palm Sunday because the prayer here, save us, we pray, in verse 28. 25 is Hosanna. It's that word, Hosanna, save us. But here in verse 15, it says these words, verse 14 and 15. Let me, let me read this. Yahweh is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of Yahweh has done valiantly. The right hand of Yahweh exalts, exalts, the right hand of Yahweh does valiantly, valiantly. But here, you notice that there is the picture of the righteous household, not an individual, but rather families, the tents. And this is not the temple. It's not corporate that's being called. It, it actually wants to give us a picture of what does the righteous home look like? Well, the righteous home looks like all the members of the family singing melodies to God in their own household. This is what a righteous family of God looks like. I'll give you another one. James 5. Yeah, I got time. James 5, 
13 and 14 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. What we see is here the various different places that we encounter in all of our Christian life, especially verse 14 tells us that this is specifically not the church context. This is every day Christian life, whether you're stuck in your sickbed or you're in your home or you're about the way. This is about your general Christian life. And part of what it looks like to be a Christian is to be singing. If your heart is thankful and cheerful, and I would say that James would probably say, and if you're sad, sing a dirge, sing something sad, uh, and ask the Lord for help there. James shows us what our daily life is to look like, and so this is just supposed to be manifold and manifest in your homes. You could also consider, I'll have you look at it yourself, Psalm 64 and Psalm 149, uh, 149 is particularly wonderful. Uh, if you're interested in hearing some psalm singing, look up Brian Sauvé. Brian Sauvé. Uh, even dragons shall praise him. Psalm 149 is in there. In verse 6 or verse 5 says, Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. It is supposed to be part of our going to sleep at night. As I sing to my kids and, and part of our waking. It, it is supposed to fill our homes. So I'm going to give you a general course. The last song that we sing is one that our families memorize, Happy the Home. And uh, I'm learning to sing through the Trinity. And uh, I was encouraged some time ago by a godly man to pick up a hymnal and sing it in family worship. And and. Uh, I'll, I'll never go back, and I never was commended it before, but I'm learning to sing through the Trinity, and I don't know how to sing, so you can too. And uh, you can also take your bulletin and go, gosh, I like that song, and go find it on YouTube and, and sing it together. Uh, all these modern helps are to, uh, oh, for what better purpose to use them than family worship together before the Lord Lastly, I'm going to argue that family worship is better than individual worship. This is point four. There's four subpoints to it. Family worship is better than family worship. If you are forced to choose one or the other, which you're not, but if you were, whether to sing, read, and pray the word of God alone or with your family, 10 out of 10 times you should choose your family. Although it should be evident to us that family worship is better, uh, we should recognize that it doesn't exclude one part of worship. In fact, it doesn't exclude private worship. It actually includes it, but it also includes all of us. It is me and you, whereas privatized individual personal devotions exclude everybody else. It's just about you. Though you should do that, Why not have your cake and eat it too? Have private worship in your own heart and among the members of your family. That's the first point. The second point is is that when you value family worship, the, the corporate expression of faith in your home, and you seek to do that which is harder than personal worship, it just shows that you 
value the word of God and prayer and singing in the lives of other people, uh, even, even as you do yourself. This is a great expression of how you love your neighbor as yourself in your home. So the man also who faithfully leads his, his family in, in worship uh, will be the one more likely than not who expresses that privately between God because he, he values it for everybody else as well as for himself. And so he'll want to be furthering his own spiritual life in secret uh, even beyond this over time. <clears throat> Thirdly, this also attaches accountability to the frequency of our devotion to Christ. It's, it's a real help to us. It's a great help, probably the most practical help. If your children say or your spouse says, hey, when are we going to, are we going to do family worship tonight? And you're dragging because you're so exhausted. They say, you say, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do, right? That is the regular pattern of our life. Uh, this holds you to setting your face before God every day, not giving yourself any excuses, but saying with Joshua, me and my house, we will worship the Lord. Secondly, it also attaches accountability to your sincerity. Let's say you were just angry and yelled at your wife. Well, it's not that you should push off and go, I can't family worship right now. You should say all the more because I need to repent to her. And I learned in the Lord's Prayer that I'm supposed to confess my sins every day. And so I need to go and tell her sorry and then repent. And then it also helps you not only in the sincerity of your own heart, but you can't pretend before your family very long. You were forced not to be a hypocrite. In your home, they see you, your shortcomings and your, and your goodness. And what it calls to you is every time you're to lead, it chastises you. Are you right with the Lord? Do you believe these words? Are you going to exercise faith in Christ here? Yes and amen. It is a great spur to us. Fourthly, <clears throat> we often, single guys who get married learn this really fast, especially is, I, at least in my experience and what I've noticed uh, from guys that I've seen, often men and women who are unmarried and then get married have convinced themselves because they're by themselves that, oh, pretty good person until you get in a room with another sinner and you're with them all the time. And then they, they shake loose the sin that's actually in your heart and it comes out and you're like, I've never been so angry in my life before. <laughs> like, oh man. It's this marriage thing that's bad for me. No, you were always a sinner. You just didn't have any opportunity to see it. Now you are, are, are in a place where God uses that to shake you uh, and that sin out of you so that you can repent. It's, it's actually the greatest tool for your humility and your repentance. And so God <clears throat> has given us, actually, if we take up this call to read and pray and sing with our families together, it will be the actual tool whereby you become more humble day after day. It will be the tool whereby you become more holy day after day. It will be the tool whereby you more faithfully exercise not only confession of your sin, but you're forced to change that stuff, which is repentance by the Spirit of God. 
Repentance is not just acknowledging your sin, but turning from it, changing your ways. And there will be almost nothing more effective than to say every night after dinner, that's the time that's best for us, or maybe every morning together early before we start our day, or maybe, maybe you have an in-between time. You're good in the middle of the day. <clears throat> and you have obligations in the evening and in the morning, you guys can come together and pray and sing and read the word of God. Uh, whatever that time fits for you, or if it doesn't fit, you should get rid of something in your life. You should just, just wipe it out, obliterate it, say, I'm not gonna do that thing anymore. It's not worth it. What's more valuable than anything else that I can do in my life, and I, I truly believe this, is family worship. Something where you come together and you pray and you sing and you read together. And there's plenty of things that I could do that's good, but this is probably the best of all of them. And so I urge you, even if you need to uproot a plant, this is, this is the best plant that you can have in your house. Plant this. Cultivate it. Do not neglect family worship. If we want to see the gospel succeed in this church, if we want to see the gospel succeed in our homes, if we want to see the gospel succeed in our worlds, we will family worship. We will create a culture that is deeply saturated with robust, vital, God-exalting worship, whereby we come into his presence. This is the amazing part, is that in the Old Testament, worship was reserved in a particular place. Becoming before the face of God in the most significant way was reserved for the temple. You're the temple. That temple ain't coming back. Only, only, only us. And what is so glorious is that being the temple, we actually, by the spirit of God, experience the presence of God in the most significant way that only the high priest ever experienced. The outpouring of the spirit and in the midst of where two or more believers are in your home worshiping, there, there is the thing that Old Testament saints would have longed to have. And you can do it every day as a priest in God's temple, as God's priest in God's temple in Christ Jesus. And so I call you to experience the transformative power of grace in Christ, in the gospel, in family worship, and you might even want to start tonight or maybe tomorrow evening. With all that said, let us pray.